Welcome to the Paddle Sports Lifestyle, where we invite you to dare to dream and embrace adventure. I'm your host, Kim Peek, and together with my friends, we'll help you discover new horizons and push the limits of what's possible. In season one, I'm gearing up for my biggest challenge yet, the MR340, a grueling 340-mile paddle race along the Missouri River. But before I embark on this epic journey, I'm going to need to learn everything about the world of paddling. Learn along with me so you can find your own epic adventure on the water. Welcome back to another episode of the Paddle Sports Lifestyle. In the last episode, I tried to get to the bottom of the question everyone asks, why? Why embark on a journey like the MR340? I've always said that endurance athletes make the best employees, and I think that should also include anyone who has taken on a big challenge. Anyone who has overcome an obstacle, either by choice or by circumstance. People who endure the impossible think about life and think about their struggles differently. And that is the kind of person I want by my side, whether I'm starting a business, helping a client find innovative solutions, or working through my own hard times. Today, I want to tell you about the Freedom Race. It's a 63-mile race starting on the Lamine River, about three miles before it connects with the Missouri River near Boonville, and then going along the Missouri until you hit the state capitol building in Jefferson City. As with any training activity or race, shuttling the boat so that there's a vehicle at the end of the race that can carry the boats to where we got out of our cars at the start is always a challenge. For this race, I knew I didn't want to start my day off exhausted by leaving my house at 3 a.m. to get to central Missouri and get our transportation all figured out. The race itself was going to make for a long enough day. So a few days earlier, Anne and I met at the Hump Day 5K, and she loaded my boat onto her Jeep after the race. She and Jamie planned to leave Kansas City early and drive straight to the start of the race, and I would pick up my boat there. As my Taylor Swift fans at home were leaving to go to the Kansas City Taylor Swift concert Friday night one, which I hear was super awesome, I left Kansas City with an empty trailer and drove to Jefferson City, where I would stay in a hotel for the night. In the morning, I dropped off my vehicle and trailer at the finish line, and my training partner, Tim, drove us and his boat to the start of the race. When we got to the start ramp, we found Jamie and Anne easily. Anne was napping in the front seat of the Jeep, so I stopped my nervous chatter and went back to Tim's car to begin organizing my gear. I wanted to let her get every last minute of sleep that she could possibly get because they had an early morning leaving from Kansas City in the morning. As I drove to Jeff City the night before, I realized that I left my two hydration bladders in my kitchen. We had a lot of Taylor Swift concert prep going on with my three girls, my niece, and two of their friends, and they had a full Taylor Swift day at my house making glasses and bracelets and getting all glammed up for the concert. My hydration bladders were hidden behind Swifty decorations and pizza boxes, so I didn't see them when I did my final scan of the kitchen. Fortunately, Anne had a spare and gave it to me the morning of the race. I prepared my drinks, and then we got all the boats down, and we started loading our boats and gear. We will talk about this in an upcoming episode, but I still pack too much on my boat. That said, if you have an emergency or need Advil, some Gorilla Tape, a Band-Aid, or a spare rain poncho, I'm your girl. 
We attended the safety meeting, and then everyone started the process of getting all 140 boats down the narrow ramp and into the Lamine River. While we waited for the race to start, we talked with other racers who were lining up near the back with us. Tim and I are racing in 14 and a half foot Dagger Stratus boats, which is really truly about the lowest end boat a person could complete this race in. It's like showing up to the Tour de France with your Walmart bike. But they're still nice boats, and we are doing the thing, and we're finishing races in the boats we have. And honestly, it makes me feel even that much tougher. Yes, we'll probably both get faster boats next year, but for now, we are doing a great job in our 14-foot daggers. But that also means we're lining up for races near the back because you don't want to be the 13-minute miler lining up at the start of a marathon with all the people who are running a 7-minute pace. So they got all the boats into the water at 9.07 and counted down to the start. The Lamine River had very little current, and Jamie's notes for Anne said that we needed to maintain a 4.2 mile per hour pace on the Lamine to make the Cooper's Landing cut off in time. Tim had agreed to keep me company and paddle at my pace, and by the time we got off the Lamine, we were nowhere near the 4.2 pace. And I'm sure he was regretting this decision. We tried to pick up the pace once we hit the Missouri, but the wind was keeping us from getting into a good rhythm. It wasn't as bad as the shootout race, but it was still affecting our pace. According to Jamie's pacing notes, we needed to maintain a 7.2 mile an hour pace to Cooper's Landing to make the cutoff. So now about this cutoff. When we signed up for the race, there was no mention of cutoff times. The week before the race, the race director sent out a note that said we needed to make it to Cooper's Landing by 2.30. On one hand, I would not have signed up for the race if I thought I needed to go that fast. I've never gone 7.2 miles per hour, and to beat the Reaper on the first day of the MR340, we only need to average 5.6 miles per hour. On the other hand, entering this race was a good idea and good practice, and I'm glad we did it. But this cutoff time created so much extra stress for me. A few hours in, we realized we were not going to make the Cooper's Landing cutoff. I was talking with people in a tandem, and the guy in that tandem figured that we were 20 minutes behind. We kept paddling and started talking a little more, trying to accept the idea that we'd have the dreaded DNF by our names on the internet for eternity. I don't know if that's just a runner thing, but I don't like that DNF by my name, and Race records live on the internet forever. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's also true. We did not want that DNF by our names. But then the wind finally died down and we started picking up speed. And as I'm reading the mile markers and doing math in my head, I realized that Tim could probably still make the cutoff. By the way, the mile markers look like a bunch of third graders got together and decided to mark the miles on the river. The signs are not standard sizes. They look like they're nailed into trees or any structure that something could be fastened to. And there doesn't seem to be any pattern of when you're going to see them. It just looks like a bunch of kindergartners or third graders decided to make signs and plaster them in trees and wherever they would fit along the river. But going back to this cutoff time, I realized that one of us could still officially be in the race. So Tim sprinted for the next hour, giving it all he had to make the cutoff. 
He arrived in Cooper's Landing a few minutes before 2.30. 2.30 was the official time that they had stated in the pre-race emails that you had to make that cutoff by. Now, I knew I couldn't keep up with Tim, and he had agreed to wait for me at Cooper's Landing, but I didn't want him waiting too long. So I decided to do my own sprint, and actually, I amazed myself. For a good portion of the hour, I was going between 7.5 and 8.5 miles per hour. I made it to Cooper's Landing along with my new friend in a canoe at 2.37. But remember, the race started seven minutes late. So in my mind, that meant that I was still meeting the cutoff time. And I didn't know what the race director had in mind if they were adjusting that also. But you had to be out of Cooper's Landing by that cutoff time, which he originally set at 2.30. So I knew that I didn't have a lot of time to waste once I got there. I saw Jamie and John, who was our 340 crew person, and all I had time to do was wave. If my time did count, I wanted to be out of there on time. Tim was waiting about a quarter mile downstream with the fresh water that Jamie gave him at Cooper's Landing. So I pulled over, we poured water into our hydration bladders, we remixed our drinks, I also took a little bit of time to go to the bathroom because at that point, I had still not learned how to pee in my boat. And so I climbed up on the rocks and did that. So we wasted maybe 15 minutes there. Also, because we pushed so hard to make the cutoff, our bodies were shot. It was like deciding to do a 5K race in the middle of a marathon, which is not smart. But happy to be past the checkpoint, we did take some time to drink and get some snacks, and then we slowed way down to enjoy the view. We had 26 miles left to get to the finish line in Jefferson City. Nothing too eventful happened for the remainder of the race. We finished in roughly 9 hours and 45 minutes, which during the MR340 would be a very acceptable pace for day one, and I would have beaten the Reaper. So I was really happy with how we did. In the end, it turned out that neither of us got a DNF. My time did count, And I was one of the last people who had a finishing time that counted without that DNF. I'm okay with being last. I finished. And so I I chalked it up to a great training experience. As far as lessons that I learned, I need to have a real checklist so I don't leave important gear behind. Cannot leave things like hydration bladders or the spare bladders behind for race day. I need my protein drink to be in a squeeze bottle and not in one where I have to open up a lid that screws on. It just wastes too much time. Plus, I think that stuff tastes extra nasty coming out of a hydration bladder because it just gets warm and, I don't know, I just didn't like it. So I need it to be in some sort of a squeeze bottle that I can easily open without wasting a lot of time while I'm paddling. I still, at that point, needed to learn how to pee in the boat, although I figured it out this week and I'm super excited about that. What I ended up doing was taking a, like a Tupperware kind of style container, the ones that are sandwich size, so they're not super tall, and I opened it up, stuck it under me, and kind of peeled my shorts back, and went to the bathroom, and then pulled it out, and it all worked. Hopefully it will work on the river, because it did work on the lake. Anyway, little side note there for you. And... I also need to make sure we have lots of cushion built in so I'm not constantly feeling like I need to hurry. The feeling that I'll get behind if I stop paddling long enough 
to go to the bathroom or to eat is still a problem I need to fix. I know Tim could go much faster without me, so I really, really appreciate that he's been paddling with me, going at my pace, and that he waited for me at this race, even when it looked like he might get a DNF. Our friend Anne did amazing and was able to meet her race goals for the day, and I'm excited to see how the rest of our group does during the MR340. I love that we've met so many people along the way. It just makes things extra fun to see a friendly face on the water or on a ramp. And I love the spirit of this community, always eager to share knowledge and lend a hand. As we loaded up the boats at the end of the race, Tim struck up a conversation with the woman at the car next to us. She was the woman's solo winner. So we talked boats with her and asked her recommendations on what boat to get next. She asked how long we had been kayaking and encouraged us and said she thought it was amazing that we were able to finish this race after only three months of kayaking. And then repeated the phrase that we've heard so many times, in those boats. Which at this point has just become a joke to us. It's just funny because everybody has to mention in those boats. Actually, she was a super nice person and had not been racing long herself either. And so I also found that really encouraging just to see how far she had come in just a few short years going from a newbie a few years ago to winning the actual race in the women's division. We also talked to the race director and thanked him for putting on such a great event. We told him we were first-timers who planned to do the MR340, and he said we picked a heck of a year to start because water levels are extra low, which means that the water is slower and the race will be harder. And all I can think about when people tell us that is, as newbies, we don't know any different, and we are doing great even in those boats. In the next episode, I will tell you about our final days leading up to the MR340. I cannot believe we've been looking forward to this day and it's almost time to race. Until next time, wherever life takes you this summer, make it an epic adventure. There will never be a better time than now to discover what you're truly capable of. So go ahead, take that first step, even if it feels scary. Do it anyway. Thank you for listening to the Palo Sports Lifestyle. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. See you on the water.